Welcome to the Urban Health and Wellbeing Program podcast. We are your hosts, Jieling Liu and Franz Gatzweiler. If you're interested in systems approaches and want to know more about the subject of urban health and well-being, in this podcast, we bring to you these insights through interviews with thought leaders and scientists in fields like urban planning, health, environment, and governance. If you like our discussion in this episode, please check out our other episodes and feel free to get in touch. You can find our contact and website information in the written introduction of this podcast. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Health and Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Jieling. Today, I'm very happy to be speaking with Professor Yi Xiaofeng from the China Academy of Urban Planning and Design, a senior city planner and a certified planner based in Beijing in China. As a senior urban planner in China with 20 years of experience, Professor Yi has been in charge of making many different kinds of urban plans across China and also experienced the evolution of macro paradigm shift in China's urban planning. He was the principal planner for two versions of the master plan of Guangzhou, a megacity in the southeast Cantonese province in China. Professor Yi holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Geography and a Master of Science degree in Human Geography, both focusing on urban and regional planning from Nanjing University. Professor Yi, welcome. Uh, hello, Jilin. Today, our topic is on the paradigm shift in China's urban planning and the role of health. So, could you give us a brief overview of the history of urban planning in modern China? So roughly on when it started, what kind of paradigm or best examples of urban planning that were followed and what did it experience? If you could give us an overview. All right, just a, a brief introduction to Chinese planning history. As we know, health has been becoming a buzzword in planning field in China. From my experience, planning is a problem-solving process. Uh, the major problems to be solved are different from time to time. Right after the founding of the People's Republic of China, industrialization was a big issue at that time. So the planning is construction-oriented. The main purpose of planning is about where the factories uh, were to be located, where the workers were to live. The planning focuses on production, as the production is the primary, and people around the production is the secondary. Even the people at the time thought they should do something to a newly born country, a new China. The resources like money, land, which were extremely precious, should be used for production for a better country. So that's the basic logic of planning at that time. Then, as we know, we went to a new area, implementation of opening up policy since 1978. Urban health was not yet a big issue, but the period of time was significantly changed the way we saw the cities. Like our country opened up to the rest of the world, the cities were opened up for the people who pursued for better lives. The jobs created in the cities attracted the people. Consequently, more people in cities and more cities, larger cities, 
now more than half the population in China have lived in cities. The cities is more like the growth machines. The people wanted a healthy lives while they got more fortune. More urban amenities have been considered in planning, like gardens built up in the cities, even at the heart of the city. For example, the Manhattan's Central Park. Guangdong province even formed a network of greenway covering the whole province in order to improve the life quality of the people. The second phrase of planning logic could use a phrase called uh, development-oriented. And lately, more attention has been paid to urban health. More amenities can be seen from gardens to improve the green and the blue systems, that, that is, uh, green space and uh, river systems, uh, from scattered facilities like uh, hospitals, uh, clinics, to better health care system. Concerning the health, the people saw beyond the cities, studying the connections between air pollution and health of people, between the consumption of fossil energy and the health of the earth. In the past years, planning solved the problems passively, while planning changed the strategies to urban health in a more active way. From above, uh, the central government changed the whole planning system from a pro-growth way to an environment protection way. The protection or preservation of a farmland ecological systems become prioritized at all levels, national, provincial, and urban. Uh, furthermore, reduction of carbon emission becomes a new priority for China, which can be seen in our daily life, like more electric cars running, less charcoal and fossil fuel consumed. I probably can use a phrase that we came to a new era of planning, uh, health-oriented planning logic. That is um, what I'm thought about brief uh, history of our planning. Thank you, Jialing. Thank you very much, Professor Yi, for giving us this fascinating brief history of China's urban planning evolving from the construction oriented upon the new founding of the country towards a more development oriented phase with the opening up and the economic liberation of the country and further on to a more people oriented and health oriented kind of uh, urban planning with, as you mentioned, the protection of farmland, proactive approach in designing gardens in cities and also the, for example, introducing electric vehicles, etc. So I think this is a fascinating overview. Now, let's start by zooming in to each of these spaces. And it would be great if you could give us a bit further glimpse into the details of how in each phase the process was planned and happened in terms of urban planning. So, for example, when I hear this overview that you just gave, what I have in mind is that it seemed to me that China's urban planning across these phases had a strong influence from the country's macro socioeconomic development track behind it. So in that sense, would you say China's urban planning, even though it went through different phases and different paradigms, it was very much serving for the country's macro development and in that sense how would you describe the kind of political influences or the kind of macro development planning from the central government how did it influence urban planning let's start by the earliest phase the construction phase 
Okay. Uh, yes, I agree that the central government influenced the planning system a lot in the history of planning, especially the early stage of planning after liberation. The main purpose of planning was to to deploy the industry projects, especially in northeast China. Many uh, factories founded by the Soviet unions were deployed in the major cities in northeast, like Shenyang, Changchun, and Harbin. Now we still can see a lot of factories in those cities. Lately, I visited Shenyang many times. We saw the factories, the relics in the city center. Some are still waiting for regeneration, but some of them are becoming new facilities and new functions in the city. We can see that this is an influence from the central government at that time. Actually, the money used to build up the factories actually from the central government. The local government didn't have enough resources to build up those modern factories at the time. This is just one example of how the central government influenced the development of the local level. Very well. Thank you. For me, this is really interesting in that in the so-called early construction phase of the modern China or China's modern urbanization. That、uh, central government took the lead. Also, you reviewed a really interesting detail, which was about that the central government had the money, while the local government did not have the money or resources in general to lead urban planning. And that's why the planning was、uh, very much, you know, detailed to、uh, specific economies and the different、uh, industry factories you mentioned. So, evolving from this construction phase to what we say the more Recent phase, which is the development phase, with the opening up of the country economically. So, what happened then? Did the local government start to have more resource? Is that why local government start to take more initiatives in terms of implementing its urban plans? And what's the role of, you know, urban green spaces? For example, you mentioned gardens. What's the role of urban green spaces, and how? Exactly, were these green infrastructures introduced in the construction of cities in this phase? Okay, I think、uh, it is a huge issue, and、uh, we have to explain it a little bit、uh, longer. First, I'd like to explain how the local government got the resources to build up their own cities, thanks to the policies of opening up and reforms. This is a very very important policy and implemented by the central government with a strong force. At that time, the local government got the right; they can develop their own land because before 1978, the land actually was totally priceless. The price was zero, but after that, the price of land became higher and higher. That was how the local government can get the money from the development of the city. So. For example, a local government want to get some money for the further development. They can sell the land to the market, and the real estate developers could buy the land with the money to get the right of development. So a local government got the money. So what if the local government got the money? They could use the money to introduce them to industry projects like the FDI, foreign direct investment factory, especially the coastline cities. Like、uh, Pearl River Delta and Yangtze River Delta, a lot of the factories supported by the foreign investment, and 
On the other hand, the local money, especially at the very, very low level for the Tang and the Xiang level, the people could use their own money to build up their factories. And so the regional economy began to rise up. And this is why the cities began to play a more and more important role in the economy of the country. On the country, the economy in northeast part of China, actually the economy was totally directed and supported by the central government. Relatively, the economy began to slow down because the local economy can't fit in the market-oriented economy. So more and more economic activities happened in Peri-River Delta and the Yangtze River Delta. I think this is major change happened in China after 1978. Sorry, I forgot the, the question you asked. Okay, the green space. Exactly. Yes, green space. So thank you for adding this explanation on how local governments started to have resources. I think this is a very important background information for many of the audience who are not familiar with China's urbanization context was that before the economic liberation and open up, land was yeah, exactly. entirely state-owned and public and there was no price put on a piece of land. And then after that, there was. So that's why local government could sell the land. But sell the land in the sense of not the ownership, right? But just the right to okay, use land for right a certain period, right? Okay, just the right of development. Yes. Right. So I think yes, it's also yes. very important that we add this background information. So after this kind of selling the usage right of the land to developers, local governments had money and they could also had more liberty in deciding how their city could look like in terms of the different components of a city, right? The residential, the industrial, the, the infrastructures, so railroad, land transport, etc. And then also, of course, the kind of a more public and not so development or profit-oriented thinking kind of uh, infrastructure, which is also important. And they are the green and public spaces, which is really important for urban residents to have life quality, basically. So could you tell us a bit more on how this piece, so the public and green spaces, is introduced in urban planning for local governments in this development phase? Yes, this is a very good question, and, and uh, it still is a complex one to explain. So, after the development of the many cities in River Delta or Yangtze River Delta, people found air pollution and the pollution of the soil, and they have to do something to change that. So, many green spaces and the gardens, uh, even the corridors have been built up for a better environment, especially for better health of the local people. and. Uh, Actually, the more attention paid by the central government, even the laws and the policies from above change the landscape at the local level. So we can see the green corridors between the residential area and the industry area, and at the heart of the city center, it could be a green space to reduce air pollution and many urban problems. That is one reason why there should be a green space. This is a way to solve the urban problems like uh, air pollution and health problems. And the second uh, reason, I think, is still about the price of the land and the price of the city or competitiveness of the city. Because in a um, development-oriented logic, the cities want to attract investment from outside. 
and uh, they thought the people uh, from outside wanted to see the city with uh, more views, uh, more green spaces. So many cities did that. Uh, when the land market began to form, green space in the city center is very important to raise the price of that land. And of course, as I mentioned, many people want to follow the example of the Manhattan Central Park. Many Chinese people think that Manhattan Central Park is a very good example. It's a good experience from the United States. Actually, it's not just the Chinese people. Many so-called developing countries, they thought the Manhattan Central Park is a good example. They want to follow the example, so they built up their own central park in their own cities. I think that's the reason they pay more attention to the green space. Well, thank you. Certainly, you provided a very interesting response. And from here, I have one impression, and of the two interpretations, let's say, of what you just explained. So the overall impression for me is that having in mind that, of course, this is a progress, right, an attempt to improve. Urban environment and to address the kind of environmental challenges, let's say, at least in my words, I would frame this as a, still a kind of a passive response in order to absorb the environmental externalities of the industrialized urban components, the factories, the kind of a fossil fueled、uh, transportation network. So I would say that it's still a passive way. It's, it's still Very much about let's create some infrastructure and services to clean the problems of development, right? Clean the problems of yeah, economic development,、yeah. and even in the second case that you showed about you know the important economic value of land, and this is how basically the entire urbanization, urban development scheme depends on. Should certainly green space can. Make an area look nicer, and actually, of course, it also means higher living quality and so on and so forth. But very often, what we see is that this is a gentrification problem in the sense that the same time that it raises living quality in the neighborhood, the same time it also raises the property value so much that. It drives people with lesser income or earning capabilities out of the benefits of urban green spaces or out of the right to access urban green spaces. So, I would summarize this as the kind of a passive approach and still serving an economic and development dominant urban planning approach. Could you please give us an entry point about if and when this approach changed, in terms of becoming a more proactive approach, thinking of people and thinking about public health, and addressing its importance, if not beyond, at least at the same importance as economic development. Is this the future? Yeah, it is the future, and something has been happening、uh, right now. So the stage when we are in is a new phase of planning. Firstly, we can see the views from the central government. They give us a total different way to see the cities and the the country. Our central government sends a message to the world that we are going to build up a community shared future mankind. So I think this is a commitment 
made by the Alpha Central government to the rest of the world. They reduce the carbon emission and support electric cars industries, clean energy industries. Many things have been done, supported by our central government. In the planning field, though we can see our planning system has been changed dramatically by the central government. Even the name of the plan has been changed. Previously, we called it our master plan is a master plan. Now we call it a territory master plan. It's slightly changed, but it changed a lot actually. Previously, we just make the plan for the city. The farmland is not considered in the plan, and the hills and the waters and the the rivers are mentioned just a little bit in the previous version of the master plan. But now in the territory master plan, we have considered all the elements like mountains, rivers, cities. And、uh, many kind of things has been considered into the new version of master plan, and、uh, I think that the central government has paid a lot of attention to how to change the country into a greener way, and how to contribute to the rest of the world. And、uh, at local level, many innovations and many interesting things that just happen. As a planner, we always take Chengdu as example. We think Chengdu and、uh, Chongqing they are very very successful because they built up many popular places for the local people and attracted people from outside to form a newer and larger cities. And even the economic development between the east and the west. Now we can see lot of good numbers in Chengdu and Chongqing. And even in pre-river data, we can see the changes in Guangzhou and Shenzhen. Shenzhen's population is just overnumbered. The population of Guangzhou. Can you imagine that? About twenty or ten years, Guangzhou was much larger than Shenzhen. Now Shenzhen is larger than Guangzhou, the provincial capital city. How this change happened? I thought that one of the reasons is that Shenzhen. And the surrounding region has formed a, a new way of development, green spaces, green networks, and greenway systems. We can see in the city, and that changes the way of how the economy activities. So the beautiful views and the green spaces and the facilities attract the younger generation. They become a major force of the new economies. So the new economies. Is becoming larger and better, so that more population coming to the cities like Shenzhen and Dongguan. So the balance of population between Shenzhen and Guangzhou changed. That is a very interesting thing I see these years. Yeah, I wanted to highlight a few keywords that you just mentioned in your example. So you mentioned Chengdu, Chongqing, and Shenzhen. As these emerging cities that have gained popularity, particularly among the young people, right? And you also mentioned innovation, and、uh, you also mentioned about population, you know, shifting to be in not necessarily capital cities, but also you know cities where young people are attracted to. And you mentioned the、uh, Shenzhen has this great、um, green network that you know basically it's good infrastructure for young people who feel that their life quality could be better there. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. If I may add one keyword in here, technology. So when we think、yeah. of Shenzhen, Shenzhen is full of innovation. Shenzhen itself is very young. It is thriving in terms of a technological 
research and development. And I think it also goes well in terms of when we think about future and attracting young people to recite. Certainly, young people are today a generation that perhaps we could even say almost entirely different because of the level of embodiment of technology. So. I mean, we could say that it's essential, right? Technology is completely integrated into the life of today's, especially young population. So, in that sense, in that sense, I would say that today's urban development, in order to attract young population and have a sustained growth in terms of urban development, in terms of economic development, in terms of Its future prosperity and city branding, all of this technology needs to be, and obviously it is already one critical factor. So, I think this is fascinating. I wonder if you have anything to add in terms of、um, integrating the technology factor in today's、uh, urban planning in China. Yeah,、so、I think so. What you added is very, very valuable. To what I said about the planning、uh, logic, actually we can see the technology and the green space, or we can see the、uh, the、uh, high quality of life in the cities are highly connected.、Uh, we can see the Silicon Valley,、uh, we can see San Francisco. They are all the the hub of the technologies for the whole world, and we can see that they have very beautiful views, beautiful harbors, and the people there enjoy the high quality of life. And the same thing happened in China.、Uh, Shenzhen is,、uh, as you said, the hub of technology, and、uh, probably Hangzhou and、uh, Chengdu is the the hub in the west part of China. They also have the, the beautiful views, the beautiful green systems and the、uh, blue systems. So I think the views and the life quality is attracted the people who have the skills and the knowledge to form the the new economy based on technology. That's why the connections being formed between technology and life quality of cities. That's quite an interesting phenomenon for the new development area. And、uh, as a planner, I always tell the planning official that we have to pay more attention to the. Life quality,、uh, to the green systems. This is not about the environment protection, but about the future of the cities. Because if you don't have the high quality of the environment, the mountains or the river, the younger generation won't come to your city. You won't get your a new economy, and you can't get your your pensions in the future. So just do the right thing to build up the better green space system. It's not about your job. It's about your future, your family's future, and the city's future. Wow, wonderful! I think this is a perfect way to conclude this episode on this note, the note of future. So, thank you very much, Professor Yi, for giving us such an exciting overview and also the details of China's urban planning and its paradigm shift from the phases of construction to a more、uh, focused on the economic development. To further a more people and health oriented paradigm, and with the note of future and our next generations, I want to thank you for your contributions to the Urban Health and Wellbeing podcast, and it has been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. 
We hope you have enjoyed our conversation. The background music of this podcast is called Magic Forest, created and shared generously by musician Mike Huber under the Creative Commons license. If you want to join the conversation, add examples of systems approaches to urban health and well-being, or be part of the network, contact us. Again, you can write us an email or visit our website, which are available in the written introduction of this podcast. Please also follow us on Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Until next time, stay healthy and well.